0: If I don't push myself to the point of failing, how do I know where my limit is, right? How do I know how far I can go with something, how far I can excel with something, whether that's my personal life or in my work or in running or whatever it is. If you never ever challenge yourself to that fail zone, I think you do yourself a disservice.
1: Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Kim Peek, and I am a movement and mindset strategist with a passion for running, triathlon, and all things fitness. If you caught Boston Marathon fever and you're thinking you might like to train for a summer 5K or maybe take on a half marathon or a full marathon this fall... I would love to be your coach. You can learn more about my coaching at my website at www.crushingmygoals.com or just send me an email at, coachkim at thepowerofrun.com. I'm excited to bring you this interview with Delise Hoven. She is the mother of two sons. Her youngest son, Braden, battled childhood cancer three times. During his second battle with cancer, he faced the words, no known cure, and his odds for survival were less than 10%. Three months after that diagnosis, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. They had chemo on the same days in two different locations in Kansas City for several months. They both achieved remission, and life went along pretty well until two years later, when Braden was diagnosed with a secondary leukemia. It was actually caused by the treatments he had received to save his life from the first cancer. No child had ever survived this particular form of secondary leukemia after battling battling relapsed neuroblastoma. In the podcast, we will share what happened next and how Delise and her family are doing now. Delise is also the founder of Brayden's Hope for Childhood Cancer, a foundation that funds research so that no other family will ever need to hear the words, no known cure. Delise also loves to run. She calls herself a slow, middle-of-the-pack runner. When she is training, she smiles and talks to every person she meets on the trail, and she stops to take pictures of all the beautiful things she sees on the journey. Although she gets frustrated by bad runs and not achieving race goals like most runners do, Delise finds joy, peace, and happiness when running. The joy is not because she's a first place champion, because she is not, but because it is a mental cleanse that allows her time to think, feel, create, and appreciate. She believes that gift is the real win with running. Today, I am talking with Delise Hofen, who is an amazing person. She has been through so many obstacles and always finds a way to rise and come out stronger. And you all know I love talking to people who are able to just overcome such adversity and find new ways to thrive. So Delise, I am so excited to talk to you. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So for people who don't know your story, will you give us the background of just what happened to your family and how Brayden's hope was started? Absolutely. So um, when our son Brayden was three, he was diagnosed
0: with a kind of cancer called neuroblastoma and it's a particularly lethal type of childhood cancer and he had about a 30% chance for five year survival. Um, And he went through about a year and a half of really pretty awful, horrible treatment um, where we lived in the hospital pretty much all the time. We were home maybe about a week out of a month. um, And we really thought we had it beat after that year and a half and went back in for scans and it was back. And relapsed neuroblastoma has no known cure. And his odds fell to less than a 10% chance of survival. And that was a Another really devastating moment for us um, to make things even more complicated. Three months after his relapse from his cancer, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, stage two. And uh, we went through chemotherapy in two different locations in Kansas City on the same days. Um, He was getting way more treatment than I was. uh, But he was just, you know, hey, let's go to the park. And I'm like, hey, let's take a nap. (laughs) We went to the park. It was it was amazing. Um so they didn't really have anything to treat his relapsed neuroblastoma here in Kansas City. So we started trying uh find a Philadelphia for treatments there because they have a team that specializes in relapsed neuroblastoma. And um, we were really lucky, and we got Braden into a second remission about a year later. And I was fine uh, about eight months after uh, everything, my diagnosis. Um, so we were, life went along really pretty well, um, and we thought we were doing okay. And then a couple of years later, Braden developed a secondary form of leukemia that was actually caused by the treatments that he had to save his life from his neuroblastoma. So the treatments were so toxic that they actually deleted one of the chromosomes in his DNA. And there's no cure for that other than to get somebody else's DNA through a bone marrow transplant.
1: Wow. The problem
0: is that we, it's crazy, right? We we had trained Braden's body through this immunotherapy stuff we'd been doing to be able to recognize any dormant neuroblastoma cells and keep them quiet. Um, but when you do a bone marrow transplant, you have to knock out your own immune system to be able to accept somebody else's cells. So all of those guardians that we'd had in there protecting him from any dormant neuroblastoma cells were gonna get knocked out. And so he we were told there's he's not gonna make it. I mean, we've told you before odds were really bad, but we're really serious this time. We've never seen a child who's had relapsed neuroblastoma that survives secondary uh leukemia, the kind that he has. And um we decided to go ahead and try for a cure and to try a bone marrow transplant, um, knowing that, you know, it was a last ditch effort. I mean, he he was certainly going to die from the leukemia if we did nothing. There was, It was about six weeks away from him dying, or we could try the transplant. And so that's what we did. And we found a bone marrow donor that was a perfect match for him. And it was his big brother, Zach.
1: Aww. So we
0: got We got really lucky. That's really rare to have a sibling um, as a match, let alone a perfect match. Um, But it's also really good for engraftment and for fewer side effects after the transplant. So just this last Sunday, we celebrated Brayden's five years um, since transplant. So he is officially, for the first time ever, a cancer survivor since he was three years old. He's now 14 years old and he's doing really well eighth grader in middle school and and life is good.
1: Wow, that that is just amazing. That just gives me chills. <laughs> it's a crazy story, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. So then while he was going through all of this because I mean this has been your life for for all these years now, you yep. started a foundation, right? We
0: did. So when I was diagnosed at the same time he was diagnosed and my doctor said, hey, you've got these things in your breast cancer that we know that if we do these treatments for it, it'll shut those specific things down. And I I was like, wait a minute, my child who's five has no cure for his cancer, but you know exactly what switches on my cancer and you know how to switch that back off. And why is that that nobody knows anything about his cancer, but you know about my cancer and so I started researching to find out why that discrepancy existed and what I found out really was that childhood cancers are extremely overlooked and horribly overfunded. I thought cancer research funding was just cancer research funding i didn't know that it was actually divided up by type and by you know this for adults and this for kids and so breast cancer research, and I'm grateful, receives about 12% of the NIH's um, research budget, the National Institute of Health, their research budget. All childhood cancers combined receive less than 4%. So wow. we stepped up with Braden's Hope for Childhood Cancer to try to level that playing field and make a difference so that when a child is diagnosed with cancer, they have some sort of treatment option available to them rather than hearing the words, no no cure.
1: That is amazing. And I, I just love stories about people who are just faced with these overwhelming odds like you were, who then turn that around and come up with a way to not just help your own family, but to find a solution or to work toward a cure for other people. I think that's just so amazing. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, honestly, it's it,
0: there are too many of Brayden's friends that did not make it through their cancer fights and I've been to too many kids funerals and it's not an okay thing and no child and no family should have to go through this and not at least have a way to try to fight their cancer. Um, So, you know, we could either sit back and say somebody ought to do something or we ought to stand up and say, you know what, we're somebody, And maybe we don't know exactly everything we're supposed to be doing, but we'll figure it out and we'll go ahead and try and make a difference. And so that's what we started doing.
1: And you have some cool things coming up for Braden's Hope for Childhood Cancer also, right? You have some fundraisers coming up. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those?
0: Sure, absolutely. So we actually fund million-dollar research studies for childhood cancers here in Kansas City between um, Children's Mercy Hospital, KU Cancer Center, Center, and the Stowers Institute. And so we do a lot of fundraising during the year in order to be able to do those million-dollar research grants. And so one of the biggest ones that we have is our HOPE Gala, which is in September, at the end of September, which is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. Um, and it's at the Overland Park Convention Center. And last year we did a little over $700,000 in one night. It's amazing how incredible our community is. Wow. So we have that coming up. Um, we're doing photo shoot shoots with the Royals, the Chiefs and Sporting KC, where we put 12 kids from the area that have cancer with 12 of the athletes. And we take pictures, put them together in calendars, and then we sell the calendars. And actually our Royals, Royals photo shoot is coming up just this week. So. Pretty excited about that. And then we're going to have our very first annual Hope on the Hill 5K in downtown KC in November. So we're looking
1: forward to that. We're getting into the 5K space. So I'm excited. Nice. So I think... Didn't you guys have, or maybe it was just a fundraiser for your family, maybe about eight years ago, wasn't there one out on the, like near the Shawnee Mission ball fields?
0: Yes. You have a really good memory. We did. And that was a fundraiser for our family for medical bills. Okay. Uh, and there were about 1,600 people that came out to that 5K. It was unbelievable, but that's exactly where it was. And it was just such an inspiring day. It was right after I had had my double mastectomy. And so I was still doing the recovery mode um, from surgery, and so um, the, we were doing that. And, and the lady said, "I need, I want you guys to run across the finish line together." I'm like, "I cannot run. Oh <laughs> I'm God. walking across the finish line together." So
1: yeah, I so did that cool. race. I did that race with some friends of mine, oh my and gosh. my husband and I were. When I told my husband this morning that I was talking to you, he goes, "Oh, I remember you doing that race. Yeah." So we were talking about just this morning about that one. Oh my goodness, that's amazing! Another thing that just strikes me about this story is that you are one person. You're one family that had two really bad things happen to you at the same time. And I think a lot of times people think I'm just one person. What, Im- you know, how can I make an impact on the world? I'm just one person. I can't do whatever it is that they're dreaming of or whatever they think that needs to be changed. What? was your life like before all of this? Did you have any of these amazing skills already or are these just things you learned as you went along? Well, before um,
0: any of this ever happened and the cancer stuff ever happened, I was an educator. I started as a teacher and then I was a principal and then I was a director of HR. And I think, probably the biggest thing that I learned from all of those experiences is that it's really about relationships with people. So the 5k that you were talking about, we didn't ask anybody to do that. People just said, we want to do this to try to help your family. And in the middle of that, um, this lady who lived near where we live, reached out to me and she said, we'd like to do a, a silent auction for you at that race. And I'm like, do you even know how much work that is? I mean, I don't even know who she, who you are. <laughs> do you know how much work that is? She goes, I don't care. It'd be great. We'd be happy to do it. And she has become one of my very best friends and has honestly been one of the biggest people involved in starting Braden's Hope. Um, and, and it's, I didn't really know the skill set that needed to happen for starting a nonprofit. I just knew that together with a whole bunch of people, we would figure it out and we would make it happen. But I've always been the kind of person that's just been like, I, I'm okay with getting the the boat out on the ocean or the plane up in the air and then figuring the rest out <laughs> as we go. Um, so I, I really think that, you know, it's just the, the ability to just trust yourself and and trust the people around you and, and just know that the people around you will always, I mean, they've always just completely surprised me in such magnificent ways that um, people are so good. People are so good. And we don't always hear about that or see that. So it's, it's just about the community.
1: Yeah, I love that. I just, and I, I love just the whole thing about letting the people around you who wanted to pitch in and help and who wanted to bless you and who wanted to help care for you, letting them come in and and do what they wanted to do. I think sometimes people, you know, they, they get cancer and, oh, I'm so used to doing things for myself. I couldn't possibly let people cook for me or I couldn't let people clean my Mm -hmm. house. And we get all so hung up on trying to do everything ourselves that we forget that there's so many people that would like an opportunity to come in and do something nice for us too. So I think that's another nice piece of all of this is that you have, just such a great team of people around you now. Very true. That is very true. And it really is hard to ask for help for anything and anything
0: it's hard to ask for help. Um, and so even though I wasn't asking people were offering and, and even at that point, it was hard to say, yes, I need the help because you know, I'm still super mom. I can do it. It's all, like, but I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And at some point you just have to be real with yourself and say, you know what? I actually need the help. I need the help. And so you have to take it. And then once you've had that, Blessing put on you, you then need to take it back and turn it around and do that for other people after you've had that experience. You know, just that pay it forward thing, right?
1: Yes. So I am coming up on in May, it will be four years since I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And then I had my bilateral mastectomy that following August and started chemo on September 11th of that year. So kind of about ready to come up on the four year point. And yeah, yeah, exciting. And so one of the things that I just think about when I hear your story is, you know, that's hard enough going through that yourself. And you were going through chemo and treatment and having to be strong for just a little guy. He was little at the time. You're having to be strong for somebody else at the same time. What was, what did you do so that you were able to take care of yourself and also be there for Braden? And your other, you have another child too, right? Yes, we do. We have another son who is yeah. 17 months older than Brayden is. Zach. Wow.
0: So, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that I really did. I, I, it, was such a, it was such a whirlwind. And I'd like to say that, you know, I, I did a really good job. Of man- I don't think I did. I think that everything was just so crazy and you just had to manage it. I mean, the, the alternative to just getting up and sucking up and going and doing it and making every day the best possible day that it could be was to bury my head in the covers and (laughs) not come out. And on the flip side of that, I had this three-year-old little boy who needed his mommy. And to bury my head under the covers and, and hide from the world, which is what I really wanted to do, was not, okay for him. I mean, it was his odds were so bad that it was like every day was a gift and a blessing. And so you can either spend it well, or you can choose to not. And so I felt like the best way I could honor his life and his battle was to be the most present mom that I could be. And I I didn't always hit that mark. There were a lot of epic fails in there. Um, but he is just the sweetest, happiest little guy ever. He he has autism and Brayden doesn't even actually realize that he ever had cancer as a result of that. He just kind of thinks that's the way life is for everybody and that's wow. just what everybody does and goes through. So he never realized that he was supposed to be sick. He didn't realize that this isn't what everybody goes through. And so he just kept living life and being happy. So on his worst days, when he was extremely sick in the hospital and feeling bad, he would be sick and he would have a fever and he would be feeling bad and he would not take a nap because he wanted to play with his toys. (laughs) I mean, he just kept going and going and there's no way as a human being that you can be around that and not be inspired by that to try to be all that you can be. So I think that it was honestly Braden that was the one that led the charge on all of that. And I just kind of followed suit. His his perspective was so unique in that and and I used that perspective so much just in life of, you know, okay, really how big is this mountain? We I mean, really have, I mean, it's a pretty big deal, but really how big is this mountain? No, yeah. but let's break it down and see really what it, it is. I mean, if he can look, you know, this horrible prognosis and these horrible treatments in the eye and be like, I just want to go to the park. Uh, why, why, why can't I do that too? Why can't I just say, where's, where's the light in this? And how do I find a way
1: to make this work? And how do I get through this? Wow. Kids are so amazing. Yes, they are, and you you just don't even. I mean, that's just a great perspective. It's such Mm -hmm. a great perspective. You were talking about how you had incredible foot pain as after you went through treatment, and this is something that has plagued me now for pretty much the last three years. Is the foot pain that I have from caused Mm -hmm. by my treatment, which has hindered my running? And you said that you relied heavily on foam rolling and uh, rolling out your feet. Can you just talk a little bit about what you've done so that you are able to walk and run for your health? Absolutely. So I I think part of it is treatment related and I think part of it is my
0: multiple sclerosis. So I've always Mm -hmm. had that neuropathy thing going on. Um, and literally before I started running, um, I would be walking up and down stairs and I'd have to take like one stair at a time, you know, like one left foot and then bring the right foot up to the uh-huh. same stair. It would take like a half hour to get up or down the stairs. And I kept thinking i I'm like I'm in my forties. I'm thinking, what's going to happen when I'm 90 years old? How am I ever going to get around anywhere? I got to figure out a solution. So I went and bought one of those, it's. Um, the roller that I use for my foot is actually a plastic one that has those little knobs, knobby mm-hmm. things on the end of it. And, and I just started rolling, and it kind of helped to, to roll out part of that cartilage. And it really, truly helped my feet a lot. And I still find myself rolling my feet. Um, and like not just once a day, I mean, I'll just sit and I'll roll my foot, like when I'm sitting doing something, working on my computer or whatever. Um, and that helps tremendously. But I also found that just still getting up and going out and walking, and I started with just walking, made a difference. It's just for me was a matter of, okay, it hurts. so I shouldn't do anything to changing. It hurts. What should I be doing so that it doesn't hurt? Because what I wanted to do was just sit because it hurts so bad. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love I love that too because when I was going through chemo, you know, those first couple days after a treatment when it starts your body just hurts so bad. I would have days where it hurt to even walk across the room. And so I had a little mini yoga routine that I would do that was only I think an 8-minute yoga video, but I would do it as many times a day, but several times a day, as many times a day as I needed it, needed to do it because it always relieved my pain. So I love that You also stumbled upon this on your own, and I think it's something that doctors and the people that take care of us, caregivers, maybe don't educate as much on, but I think it can be such a valuable part of giving people back pieces of their lives. Absolutely. I totally agree. I really do. Now, tell us a little bit about how you started running. You said that you were in Philadelphia for treatment, and because Brayden couldn't be around crowds, you were stuck in a, was it a hotel room? Well, first it was the hospital room, and then it was the hotel room. So
0: after transplant, you're in isolation for 100 days. So you can't go anywhere where there are crowds of people. So we're stuck (laughs) either in the hospital room or in a hotel room in Philadelphia because he couldn't even fly home at that point. Wow.
1: And then you were ordering food in Mm -hmm. and then that contributed to a little bit of weight gain. A lot of weight
0: gain because when you're (laughs) ordering food in, you are not ordering healthy food in, right? Yeah, that's (laughs) pretty much it. Next to impossible. Yeah, I mean, I'm silly. There's ste- cheesecakes everywhere and fries and hamburgers and pizza. And I mean, it's terrible. And I couldn't go anywhere but in this hotel room and or in the hospital room. And it was just ugly. And I got home and I was the heaviest that I had ever been. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, no clothes fit. I feel miserable. I'm tired. This
1: is not a good situation. Wow. And so as a result of that, that was when you started walking, right? Yes. So I thought, well, I'm just going to start. I had run before, before
0: um, any of my cancer stuff. And then when I got diagnosed with MS, I was like, you know, maybe I should, you know, give up running if I've got multiple sclerosis. Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. And then I started thinking, you know what? Okay. Maybe I can't run, but maybe I can walk. And so then I just started walking and you have to, I mean, I, I think most people have this somewhere in there, but some people are probably more than others. I have this horrible competitive streak <laughs> where I'm like, okay, I, that's walking is nice, but I need to walk faster. <laughs> and so I just started walking then faster and faster. And then eventually I thought, well, maybe I could just try and jog a little bit. And so I jog a little bit and then walk. And that just kept lengthening out and turning into longer periods of time um, where I was spending running. And it wasn't horrible. And I could still do it. And I felt pretty good about being able to to start running again. And then you get that runner's brain where you're craving it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which is not all that healthy, but so good. Um, so I, you know, once that kicks in and you're just like this, it feels so good to be out there running and um, you just want to do it all the time. So
1: that's how it started <laughs> just with walking. That's awesome. But you also got to a point where you were walking a super fast for walking and a super fast, fast pace. You said 12 minute, a 12 minute pace, right? I was, I was doing a 12 minute mile pace
0: and I actually even got down lower than a 12 minute mile pace walking. And that's when everybody was like, okay, seriously, if you can walk that fast you need to just try and run too. So then I tried running. I was like, oh yeah, actually it's a pretty easier deal. <laughs> I mean, it's easier mentally to think that I'm moving faster when I'm running, even if I'm not. So.
1: Well, and I know that there are race walkers who can walk a really fast pace, but to me, 12 minutes, I mean, a lot of, yeah, I can see why some people would be like, well, why don't you just try running that might be easier.
0: Exactly. And I kept thinking, well, this is silly. I mean, you know, maybe I should. And there was a big part of me that was still like, I wonder if I can, I wonder if I can run or if I can't do that really. I mean, is that going to be an okay thing for my body? And my body was like, okay, fine, whatever, bring it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So you are a breast cancer survivor. You have MS And yet you are still out there finding a way to move your body and to be active and to enjoy life. And I think that is just in itself a huge lesson for people who think that they can't, they have all these obstacles, they perceive that they have all these obstacles in their way that will keep them from exercising or being active. And even through the pain, you found a way to make it happen. What are some of the things that you do while you are running or walking to just things you do mentally to help deal with any pain or adversity that might pop up during that time? Well,
0: I think, okay, there's, there are two different ways that I, that I, there's, there's like the race mindset and and there's just, I'm going for a run mindset. And so like on the, I'm going for a run mindset. If I start feeling really crummy and I'm really hot and I'm really tired and I'm really sick of running. And why did I ever start doing this? It was such a bad idea. I will never do this again. (laughs) I start doing things like stop and take pictures of, you know, the flowers or the turtles or the snails or whatever happens to be out and about. It's amazing how much stuff is out there in nature. If you just stop and look at it. So I just stop, literally actually stop in my tracks and, and, Make myself consciously aware of those things. And it just takes my mind away from, okay, you are going to get oxygen and you're going to be fine. You're, you're going to be just okay. Um, just keep going. So I just start thinking about things outside of me and my running. Now that's, if I don't really care how fast Mm -hmm. I'm running something or how fast I'm going, um, and then if I'm in a race and that starts happening, what I've been doing is I, if I take like a dry erase marker and I'll write on my, um, arm, a couple of mantras that I can remember the, like one or two words. Sometimes I'll write the names of my kids. Um, sometimes I'll write the word reframe, which means that, okay, if I start getting in that mental headspace of this is really, I'm never going to make it. I mean, I'm in a 10 K and I'm a mile five and I have 1.2 to go. Are you kidding me? Um, and so I see the reframe written in my arm I'm like, okay, stop and take stock of what is okay and reframe that. Your legs are really okay. Your legs are going to make it to 6.2. You're fine. Your breathing is just fine. You're just telling yourself that your breathing <laughs> is too hard. You're okay. And so that just space in your head where you just stop and reframe the situation and try to kind of look at it a little bit differently. I think the main thing that I love and don't love about running is the head game that you play with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Where you start telling yourself, this is too hard. I can't do this. This is not fun anymore. Why did I say this was a good idea? Into taking your head and saying, I'm stronger than that. I'm I'm tougher than that. I am maybe not as physically tough, but mentally I'm tougher than that. And I think so much of the running game is about making your mental game strong.
1: I think that is a huge, huge part of running. And I think it's part of what attracts so many people to running too. They might not really even know that that's why they're attracted to it. But I think just that constant battle that's going on in your mind and proving to yourself that you can overcome one more thing is part of what appeals about running to too many people. Absolutely. Or you'd be coming up on a hill and
0: it's a really, really steep, long hill and you're thinking, oh, I don't want to do this hill. And and if you just can get yourself up to the top of the hill, if, even if it doesn't go on a sharp downhill, it feels so much better than afterwards. We're like, I did it. I got to the top of that hill and I didn't think I could or would.
1: Yep. And I love in our, when we were emailing before we started this interview, one of the things that you said you do is that you need to take risks and embrace the possibility of failing. And that keeps coming up in so many of the podcast interviews I've done in the last couple of weeks is just don't be afraid to fail. I don't know why we have labeled failure as something that is. Such a horrible thing, but if we aren't failing, if we aren't coming up against that adversity, then maybe we're also not challenging ourselves ourselves that much. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, what comes to mind when you think about just taking risks and em- embracing the fail? i I completely agree with you on that. I think that the best thing for me
0: about failure is that it, if I don't push myself to the point of failing. How do I know where my limit is, right? How do I know how far I can go with something? How far I can excel with something, whether that's my personal life or in my work or in running or whatever it is. If you never ever challenge yourself to that fail zone, I think you do yourself a disservice. So I think you have to literally push yourself until you fail miserably so that you know, that was my pl- that was my place. That was that was where things got too hard. Mm-hmm. And then you can make a goal for how can you get past that if that's what you want to do. And if not, then you're okay with whatever that fail was. And I have failed on way more runs or anything in life than I than I've succeeded. But from every one of those failures, I've learned something that I've been able to put into place.
1: And I also like something else you said. You said that we can't all be Shalane or Desi or Kara or Amy. We can't all be an Olympian or a world-class runner, but we can, instead of focusing on what we can't do, we can focus on what we can do. Would you like to expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. So I am a very... Weak
0: middle of the pack runner. I am never, ever going to be one of the top athletes. Although I would love to go watch those ladies run. I'd love to go spectate a marathon that they were in, but I'm not going to be Shalane or Debbie. I'm not going to be that kind of a runner, but what I can be is the kind of runner that when I get home, I say to myself, I gave that my all. I I did that run the best that I could do that run. I had one just, it was last weekend, it was a 10k last weekend. And it was uphill in the snow with the the wind blowing in my face the whole way. And I kept thinking to myself, this is so silly, but so fun. (laughs) And it was a miserable time when I finished. It was just, I mean, I felt like there was nobody in the whole race behind me, because it was a miserable finish. But it was so much fun, um, and and I just feel like that you you just you grow so much from those kinds of things, and and I think that's just an important part of of life is having those experiences too. Mm-hmm.
1: I have a, a a client of mine who did a ten mile training run that weekend you're talking about in that weird oh. snow sleet whatever. <laughs> And she got done, and I, I it, the notification came out on my phone, and I thought, surely she did this inside. She didn't. So so then I click on it, and I look at the map, and I'm like, she ran outside. Good for her. And I was so proud of her because she's going to Boston next week. And this interview actually will run the day after the Boston Marathon. But I just thought, you have been through it all. No matter what Boston throws at you, you have experienced all the kinds of weather in your training. And so I was so so proud of her that she ran that weekend because it was just you, you know you think we thought we were done with the snow and then it just came out again. Now one thing that I ask at the end of every interview power up your performance is all about learning to think, feel, perform and live like a champion. And you definitely have the mindset of a champion. What are Three characteristics or traits that you think all champions possess. Hmm. Okay. So I, the first one I would say is
0: that you have to possess the the um, mindset of uh, positive thinking. You have to be a person who can switch that refrain, um switch and and say, okay, you know what this is really awful. Just like that weather. This is really awful. I can't believe I'm out here writing it to flipping the switch and saying, you know what, Ashley's kind of fun. <laughs> it's uh-huh. just so silly. I can't even see in front of me because the snow is gathering on my eyelashes, but this is really kind of fun because I've never done this before. Um, so I think you have to be able to just reframe and, and see the positive side of, of the pain. Um, I think you also have to be that person who is willing to push yourself to into something that you're not sure you're going to be able to do well at, um, no matter if that's a distance or a time or if it's just going from walking into jogging, it's just pushing yourself into something that you're not sure is your comfort zone, so yeah, I think you have to be outside of your comfort zone to be able to do any growth and maybe the third thing would be you, you need to be a person who um, likes or well maybe not likes but a person who accepts um help and um advice from people around you. I don't think I mean I'm a runner who likes to run actually alone. I like to run solo when I'm running. Um but I still like to talk to people about running before or after I run. And that's the way that I grow. And I think that applies to not just running but in life in general. And none of us can really do the solo and so relying on others for advice and input so that you can grow and continue
1: to learn and get better at whatever it is that you're doing,
0: I think is, is something that the champion would do.
1: Those are all great pieces of advice. Thank you for sharing that. Now, if people want to learn more about Braden's Hope, where can they go? Do you, can they get involved with you some way? What are some ways that people can help?
0: Sure, absolutely. So you can go to bradenshope.org, which is B-R-A-D-E-N-S-H-O-P-E.org. I found out there are a hundred ways to spell the name Braden. Wow. <laughs> so that's the way we spell our Braden. Um And there are a lot of things on the website. There are a lot of um, activities that we have. There's a lot of events that we have. And usually every single one of those has some kind of sign-up genius for volunteers. We do not have a great big staff. So we rely mostly on volunteers. To help us make things happen, and we are lucky enough to have thousands of hours of volunteerism every year um, to be able to do stuff. So um,
1: everybody in in the community makes a big difference for our kids. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today to take time to share your story, tell us about what you're doing, and I think really just to inspire and lift us up and show us that everything is possible. That we we don't need to let the bad things that happen to us in life defeat us, that we can find a way to reframe that and keep moving on. So I I just love everything you're doing. And I thank you so much for your time. Thanks
0: for having me, Kim.
1: As I was editing, I realized I had a few more words from Delise that I forgot to throw into the Boston Marathon edition. So here's just a little bit more of our conversation.
0: I think that Everybody who is running Boston should first and foremost be thinking, I'm running Boston (laughs) because it takes a lot to be able to even get to run the Boston Marathon. So I think that the first thing they should do is just when it starts, you know, embracing the suck is to be able to pat themselves on the back and say, I am running Boston look at me, I'm running the Boston Marathon. So I I think first that celebration of just a reminder of, you know, I'm in a kind of elite class of runner here who has made the Boston Marathon. That's, That's a big deal. And then secondly is you do you. I mean, you, you have to seriously just go out and run your own race. And if you're not running side by side with Desi, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) just go out and run your best race. And the only person that you really have to beat in that marathon is you.
1: I love it. And just the whole, I think that Boston is such a celebration of all of the training and accomplishments that came up until that point. I know people put a lot of pressure on themselves to do well in Boston. And I think that that is great, but I think it's more, it's the victory lap. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast, your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.